Welcome to Harrison Church. This week, Pastor Shane brings us a message about community and what it takes to have a relationship with Christ through community. If you're interested in finding a small group or a class to get involved in, visit harrisonchurch.org and select the Get Involved tab. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Happy Mother's Day, mothers, grandmothers, anybody with their families today? We're glad that you are here. Uh, my name is Shane, uh, one of the pastors here at Harrison Church, and I'm delighted to see everybody here today. Beautiful day today. I need to catch you up, kind of where we've been. Uh, we have just, this is part two today of a uh, sermon series that we are calling, anybody remember what the name of it is? Off the Grid. Off the Grid. And uh, what we're trying to do these next few weeks is to try to think about some of the characteristics of the early Christians in the biblical times, their lifestyle that set them apart from everybody else in their community, and they did this as a response to the resurrection. Uh, last week, we talked about one of these pivotal verses. You may remember it's 1 John 2, 6, where John says, if we say we are Christians, if we say we are in Christ, then we ought to live like Jesus lived. Didn't just say, you know, we got to think or believe like Jesus believed. We got to live like Jesus lived. And one of the things that I want us to kind of think about is, you know, Jesus' life, how he lived, his lifestyle, we might think. For the early Christians, it wasn't kind of this one off exceptional thing where Jesus does his things over here, but we do our thing over here. They actually understood like Jesus' life was a model for ours. We're to be Christ like, as Kyle said earlier in his prayer. We are to kind of imitate who Jesus is. And so if, if God raised a man, think about this, if God raised a man from the dead who lived in these ways, then we should strive to kind of live in these ways. We want to share in Christ's resurrection. We want to share in his life. Last week, if uh, you were here, we talked about one of the ways the early Christians lived differently, how they lived like Jesus, and it was what we called a lifestyle of simplicity. Like Jesus really did call the followers of Jesus, like, I'm, I'm calling you out of this, this chronic life of accumulation and desiring more and more and more. You're actually to live very simply, and you'll be freed up. It's actually the abundant life. And so today, as you could tell on our, uh, our video, well, we're talking about another habit of the early church, one of the ways that they lived differently from everybody else, and it was a lifestyle of community. Now, this doesn't sound very rah-rah, very, oh, wow, I can't wait to hear this. It doesn't sound exciting, but the reason we're talking about it is because it's in here, number one, and because a sense of community, is it not the truth that a sense of community in our culture is becoming more and more difficult to come by? That it really is. So what I'm going to do today is almost like last week, I'm going to share with you uh, two readings of Scripture, one from the book of Acts in the New Testament. It's the Acts of the early church. It's really the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Like, how did the early Christians do Christianity after the resurrection? So I'm going to be reading from the book of Acts. And then I'm going to skip back over to 1 John, which has been so pivotal to this uh, series. So I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for our reading. And I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 4. I made a mistake. I put 32. It's actually 23. If you, want to, if you have your Bible, we have the screens here. So Acts 4 beginning with verse 23. So it says this. It says, After the disciples were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Remember how Jesus went in his life, he always ran into trouble with the priests and the, and the religious people. Same thing here for the Christians. They live like Jesus. 
Uh, when they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them, it is you who said by the Holy Spirit, through our ancestor David, your servant, why did the Gentiles, the non-Jews, rage, and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel gather together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats. They're being threatened here. This is where we are. And grant to your servants to speak your word, not in cowardice, but with all more boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the whole group of those who believed, look at this, were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. What they actually sold was what they, didn't, they had in excess. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him. Then he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, that's, that's the uh, description of the early church in Acts chapter 4. Now, I'm going to skip over to 1 John. We're going to be in the first uh, chapter, verse 5, just a couple of verses. Here's what John says to the churches. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and we do not do what is true. But here's what I want us to pay attention to. But if we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, we have what? Fellowship. If we walk in the light, we have what? Fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay, so earlier, uh, late last year, late last year, I need to tell you, um, as I was thinking about this sermon, uh, we got some junk mail, as we do most of the time. A lot of you get some junk mail, and uh, I almost never go through this, but I remember there was a piece of junk mail, this flyer, that was in this stack, and Christy, my wife, uh, saw it, and uh, kind of written in bold across the top was this advertisement, and the advertisement said, No more neighbors! And then, underneath, no more neighbors, it described what its, its business was all about. I hope somebody who is, the business owner's not in here right now. Uh, but, but, the, but the business, its, it's, its whole job was to come to your house and to shield you with these barriers, put these kind of natural barriers around your house, so that you could kind of finally get rid of all those pesky people who live next door to you, so you wouldn't have to see them anymore. And so you could like enjoy all of this privacy and solitude. And I looked at this and I laughed. And it is kind of funny, but this is kind of what our culture has become, hasn't it? I mean, we kind of live in this, this world right now where we just want to wall each other off. Get out of my way. 
You know, and we kind of think that my life is what I should be able to see fit, and you live your life the way you see fit, unless how you live your life as you see fit interferes with how I want to live my life and see fit. We're doing this all the time with each other, and, and we kind of think the good life means you need to get out of my way. Let me live my life the way I want to live it away from you. No more neighbors. No more neighbors. And here what I want us to think about is that that, is the, that kind of mentality is the enemy of the Christian faith. It is the enemy of who Jesus is. Now, I'm thinking about the mothers, right? You got mothers here. I, and I'll almost assure you, if you were to ask the mothers in church today or whatever, like, what, what makes this day so special or will make it so special, they probably won't say, well, it was the chicken breast I had for lunch or it's, it's the Hallmark card that I got. Really, what's the gift to the mothers today is just to be together with the family. She just wants to be together. Right? If you think about God, I was thinking about this, you know, we, there are places in the Bible where God is described as like a mother. We think he's the great big man in the sky. No, 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 no. God is kind of like a mother. And you think about God, I think what pleases God is when we're just together. Just like this. We're just together. That's all. What I wanted to point out to you is on 1 John 5, verse 7. I love it. John says, if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, in other words, if we say we're Christians, then we have, what was the word? Fellowship. If we say we are following Jesus, then we actually have fellowship with one another. So you take the opposite of that. He uses the opposite term. That means if we do not have fellowship, are we in light? No, we're in darkness. And we're not really following Jesus. We're only pretending to follow Jesus. If we do not have fellowship with one another. I mean, to be in fellowship, according to the, to the scriptures, right? To be in fellowship with Jesus means we, we've got to be in fellowship with each other. I love that little scene in the video, the, the basketball player. Did you see that? I actually have a basketball goal now at my house. And I got to tell you that we were thinking about buying one and we didn't. And someone gifted it to us. I'm not kidding. I talked about that last week. Like, if you just wait, somebody might gift it to you. So anyway, here I am. I'm playing ball, and I'm doing this all the time now. I can't jump as well as I used to, you know, and uh, not that great. But, you know, I've got a ball. I've got a basketball. It's one ball. I've got the goal, and I'm shooting. But if I want a real game of basketball, true basketball, what do I got to have? You better have some people with you you got to have people if you really want it to be true basketball. Basketball's not golf. You know, it's not just you. Let me put it to you in the most provocative way. Sometimes if uh, preachers say something provocative, you can remember it. So I'm going to say something kind of provocative, and I'm going to let it simmer, and then I'm going to explain what I said. Okay? Here's the provocative thing. There is no such thing as a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is a biblical myth. Those words do not appear anywhere in the New Testament. We need to stop saying that, and it has done significant damage to the church. There is no such thing as a personal relationship with Jesus. You ever heard that phrase before? It's not true. Now let it simmer. Work its way through the gathering. Now let me explain. Of course you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. He died for you. He loves you. He rose again for you. The problem, though, according to the Scriptures, you can't have, Jesus, a personal relationship with Him unless you've got some personal relationships with other believers. The problem is that we have, uh, we have turned that word personal to mean what? What's another synonym for us? 
Personal means private, right? Just me and the Lord, me and the Lord. And you cannot have, according to the Bible, a private relationship with Jesus. If we say we're in the light, then we have what? Fellowship with one another. So to be in a relationship with Jesus means I, I am going to have to be in relationship with other people. I mean, this idea, biblical Christianity, a biblical relationship with God is a fellowship-centered, it is a community-centered relationship with God, and this is exactly how Jesus set it up. What we've done is we've personalized it, and we've lost this sense that we're in this together. I mean, if you think about the life of Jesus, I won't spend much time on this, I don't want to get us too far in the weeds. If you actually study the life of Jesus from like an aerial view, it's almost as if Jesus' life is a retelling of the story of Israel and how Israel came to be. If you go back to the book of Genesis, God calls a single man. Do you all remember his, uh, his name? It starts with an A. Abraham. He called Abraham to live off the grid. He did. Leave your country, leave your family, leave your culture, do things differently. And then through you, Abraham, I'm going to create a people, not individuals. I'm going to create a people whose life together is going to be different and kind of odd, but they're going to show and bear witness to me. All right? And so Israel comes out of a country later on. Remember the name of the country? Starts with an E. Egypt. Think about the story of Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, when they became refugees, where did they go? Egypt. They came out of Egypt. Israel was later made up of 12 tribes. The people of Israel made up of 12 tribes. Jesus called how many disciples? 12 disciples. Moses, in the book of Exodus, from a mountain, Mount Sinai, Moses preached the law to Israel. Israel, this is your law, people. This is how I want you to live your life. In the same way, Jesus went up a mountain. In Matthew's gospel, we call it the sermon on the what? Mount. Jesus is like a new Moses. And he preaches to his people. You, together, this is my law for you. And you're going to live together with a law of forgiveness. You're going to live with a law of caring for one another. You're going to love one another. You're even going to love your enemies, Jesus said, my people. Jesus was saying that you guys are like a new Israel. The church is like a new Israel. Your life together is supposed to look different from everybody else. But if you live differently, then the world's going to know what salvation looks like. What the kingdom of God looks like. So Jesus called people into a relationship with himself. Just as he calls you to have a relationship with himself. But Jesus calls you out of the world to bring you into his new community. He calls you out. To bring you in. And so that our life together will look different than everything else. I mean, Jesus said things. What did he say to the disciples at the end? Go into all the world and preach good news to all the nations. I ask you, can one person do that? No. Jesus said, feed the poor, care for the sick, the hungry. There's a lot of hungry people out there. Can one person take care of all that? No. One of my favorite teachers in seminary, uh, looking at uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said something in his sermon where he said, if somebody asks for your coat, don't just give them your coat, give them your shirt too. And uh, then he says, uh, give to all who ask of you. Okay. And then my teacher said, now wait a minute. If you're actually going to do that, if you're going to give somebody your coat and your shirt, you better hope that there's a people waiting on you when you get back home who's going to give you a shirt and a coat because you're still going to need one. 
In other words, if you and I by ourselves try to do everything that Jesus said, you will end up broke or naked or both in the end. It cannot be done. It was set up to this kind of life together. And the early Christians sought this new way of being together. And our life together is going to be a little weird, but we're going to support one another in a world that will not support each other. So let's talk about that other passage from the book of Acts real quick. That's an off-the-grid lifestyle, isn't it? You remember what the book of Acts says the Christians did? They came together. What did they do? They let go of their things. They held everything in common. Everything was in common. They had extra houses, extra land. They sold it, gave it to the disciples, the apostles, the early uh, Christian leaders, so that no one was in need among them. Radical. And I have been in numerous Bible studies. Some of you have been there with me. We'll read that passage, and all of a sudden everybody's hair will get catch on fire, and they'll run around going, communism, 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 communism. We do this. Which, by the way, i got to say, if our first reaction to that passage is, communism, it says more about us than it does about the text. What it's saying, it's revealing something to us that, we're saying communism, why? Because, oh, I want, I want my stuff. I want to get my stuff. Right? It's not communism, folks. This was not communism. We get this idea that everybody who had a bank account in the early church, they just cashed it out and then dumped it all into a basket. Like, uh, what was the guy's name in the It's a Wonderful Life? Is it George Bailey? You know, everybody came in and just dumped it all. And we think that everybody in the early church just dumped it all in a basket, danced around it. And, uh, or if they had a house, they just tore down their house and just built one great big dormitory. That's not what's going on here. Here's what was really going on. It's not to say they didn't have houses. It's not to say they didn't even have bank accounts. The difference, though, is that these early Christians, if someone came to them and they said, Brother, we got a need in our church, the early Christians were the ones who said, Okay, whatever I have belongs to Jesus anyway. And it belongs to this church, and if you need it, you just call on me, and I'll give you whatever you need. I'll give you whatever I can to help with that need. That's what it was. How about you? What if Pastor Kyle and I came to you? We said, Harrison Church has got a need. What would you say? Would you say, well... Everything I got belongs to God anyway. I love my church. I love these people. Whatever I got you need, I'll give it to you. Or would you say it's not a good time? See, that's what community looks like in the early church. See, the early Christians lived in a world where everybody said every man for himself. But the church, was, they were crazy. They were radical. They, they, they said, I'm going to support my brothers and sisters and, and the Lord. And they lived so differently you know very uh, many years ago I spoke to a retired pastor I was kind of reluctant to share this but this did happen and I'll share it with you he was retired I haven't talked to him since I don't even know if he's still alive but I, I can remember this 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 retired clergy and I was just coming out of seminary and he said um, you know when I was serving churches he said you know some of the churches I served <laughs> we would have some real disagreements 
I'm talking knock-down, drag-out kind of disagreements. Makes the church look great, doesn't it, when this happens. But he says, you know what? He says, the churches that I serve, despite the disagreements, at the end of it all, the people in the church would say, hey, this is my church, and these are my people. I'm committed. And then he said this to me. He says, but I worry about your generation. He's because now, if there are fierce disagreements in the church, people don't usually say, hey, this is my church. I'm committed here. These are my people. What he says they are doing now is they're just leaving. And he says, I worry about your generation, pastors, because if people just leave, how's the church ever going to get vital again? It's hard to be in community. This isn't easy. It's difficult. What we have done, though, to the church is that we live in this consumer-oriented society, do we not? Do we not? And, and right now, our personal preference, my personal pre- preference, your personal preference, this is the King of King and Lord of Lords for us. What can happen is that we can reduce the church into two things, two camps. I like it or I do not like it. And when we do that, what we're doing is that we're saying that we're caring more about the style than we are about the substance. I want to like the church too. But community is kind of like a marriage. There are days kind of hard to like. But you still love one another. You figure it out. You work together. And the problem is, is that when we turn the church into just style, it's all about style. My, my personal preference is, is that it becomes very hard to hear Jesus say things like, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You've got to live sacrificially if you're going to follow me. It's going to cost you something. Nobody's going to like that. I mean, you're not going to put that up on Facebook and people are like, yeah, self-denial, ding. <laughs> like that, <laughs> right? But that's the way of the Lord. It's the way of the Lord. Now, I think I've told you this before. I'll reiterate it. What I've noticed over the years is that so many of us, I've, I've been there, I was there, is that we're looking for that show-ready church. You know, that kind of, uh, I think I called it the HGTV church. Was it the Chip and Joanna Gaines church? Where we kind of walk in and go, yeah, all right, yeah. I mean, uh, look at that open floor plan and shiplap and, and granite countertops. This is exactly what I want. And, and we want Jesus to give us this kind of show-ready church. But you know what Jesus really wants to give you when you come into the fellowship with other people? <laughs> he wants to give you this. He's got a tool belt waiting for you. Jesus doesn't call you into the show-ready church business. Yeah, there's some show-ready churches out there, but I tell you, it took some work to get there. The Bible calls it your spiritual gifts. I'm just going to call it your tool belt, your tools. See, Jesus calls you into the church improvement business. And you've got to commit to this. So let me ask you, are you using your tools Are you involved here? Are you? You got to commit. We can shop till we drop. We'll never find that church. We got to stay commit and say, I'm going to wear my tool belt. Now, I don't tell you this. I'm almost done. (laughs) I don't tell you this to nag you. Uh, No, I tell you this is because, guys, in fellowship together, and this is where the kingdom of God happens. This is where it happens. 
It's in fellowship with other believers that you are committed to where you actually find out your place in this kingdom of God business. Had I taken my Bible and gone home 25 years ago after that Billy Graham crusade, I'm out of here, and tried to follow Jesus by myself, which is a myth, I, wouldn't, I would not be here today. It was when I got invested in the people of God at my church because I'm called to be in fellowship. You're called to be in fellowship. They saw things in me I would have never seen in myself. Gifts I would have never thought of. I thought my spiritual gift until then was turning onions into these little flowery things that you could eat. I'm good at that. Awesome blossom. Yeah. They pointed it out to me. I mean, on your own, by yourself, your image of Jesus, your image of God is way too small. I've said it before. I'll say this again. You know, people who think think they're following God on their own or following Jesus on their own, they're they're not following Jesus. They're following a projection of themselves and calling it Jesus. See, when you're in a company of other believers, you're challenged, right? It's not just your perspective. Somebody says, I don't agree with that. You read the Bible. Things come out. Different things. This expands you. It's supposed to stretch you. It's in the company of other believers where you learn how to love one another and forgive one another. You can't forgive and love by yourself. If you're just doing this by yourself, your Jesus is too much like yourself. You gotta be, this is why we're always saying get in a small group. This is what John Wesley said. It's not so we look good, it's so you can experience community. You can experience the kingdom as Jesus intended it to be, and you will grow. And you will be blessed. And you will be changed. And plus, isn't life just too doggone hard to do this alone? I mean, we think that's the good life. Do it by yourself. Be independent. Oh, oh. No, that's not good. That's not good. We think it is. It is not. I mean, don't you need a place where you can go and you don't have to impress everybody? Aren't I impressive? Can I get a promotion? Don't you need a place where you can go and not be embarrassed to say, I need some help? I'll tell you, the saddest thing in my ministry, it happens all the time. As I come across people who never realized they needed a church until they realized they needed a church. I will tell you this. I have been around the bedside of a lot of dying people and not one time have the shareholders of the company they worked for all those years gathered around them to pay their respects. But I tell you, the people they committed to follow Jesus with, they're there. And I am so proud of Harrison Church. We've had a lot of losses. You ought to see the support pouring out of this place. Life is too hard to do this by yourself. You cannot follow Jesus by yourself, and you can't have faith in Jesus, I would argue, by yourself. Man, there are going to be days in your life where the circumstances are so awful, it's going to be hard for you to believe that God is with you. But if the people of God are around you, maybe you can rely on their faith, and they can say, we're with you, so you know God is with you. If we say we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Um, you know, last week I, uh, I ended my sermon by giving you a few practical suggestions, and uh, I don't have a lot of suggestions for you today. I will tell you that we spent a little time this week, uh, uh, Anita, uh, our staff member, you'll notice if you, in your order of worship, there was a list of things. These are fellowship events that the church is kind of doing over the next few months. This is serious. If we say we follow in Jesus, we fellowship with each other, I'm challenging you to be a part of some of these things. I really, really am. But, you know, you can put that sheet of paper kind of away and, and, and never see it. So I, I guess the best thing I can tell you is, guys, 
can you, can, you, can you do the work of just investing in each other? Get to know each other. You know, do the work that God has called you. I mean, <laughs> use your tools. Make the church what you need it to be. I tell you what. Can we just pray for each other? Can we, can we just pray for each other? I mean, not just for yourself, but for each other. Can, can we just do that? If you're visiting with us, don't be alarmed. <laughs> What's going on? But there are people besides you right now. I mean, all of you right now, you're, there's something. You know someone, if it's not yourself, you're hurting, and there's something going on, and, and you know you need some help. And some of you sitting around them know this. Can, can you just take a moment to pray, not for yourself, but for these other people you're thinking of? And if you know somebody, I don't take somebody's hand if you know them. It's, you don't have to do that. But man, Jesus calls us into fellowship with himself and with each other. Can we pray for each other? You know, if you want to come forward and just pray for the church at the kneelers, if you want somebody to help pray with you, that's fine. But just pray for each other. If we say we have, if we say we walk in the light, if we say we're following Jesus, then we will have fellowship with one another. We got to know we're not alone. You're not alone. You're the body of Christ. Let's just take a few moments, however you want to pray for each other. Let's just pray. Come forward, stay where you are. But let's pray for community and fellowship, the communion of God and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Harrison Church. To stay connected to Harrison Happenings, please follow us on Facebook or Twitter at HarrisonUMC or online at harrisonchurch.org.